Welcome to the Refuge Recovery Podcast. Refuge Recovery is a worldwide community of people who are using the practices of mindfulness, compassion, forgiveness, and generosity to heal the pain and suffering that addiction has caused in our lives and the lives of our loved ones. This podcast is for all those interested in and all those already practicing refuge recovery to find freedom from addiction of all kinds. To support this podcast and your refuge recovery, please donate using the link in the show notes. Here we go. Welcome everybody to the regular Thursday night refuge recovery world services. Uh, I don't even know if we actually gave this a name, kind of whatever Thursday night with Noah um, book study and, um, uh, you know, where we've been going through the text, the refuge recovery book. And we already went through all of the um, teaching and and, and um, philosophy of refuge. And now we're in the back of the book where we're going week by week through the guided meditations. So um, if you've missed any of that and you, um, it's all recorded on um, the YouTube channel, the Refuge Recovery World Services YouTube channel uh, from day one, all of the recordings are there. So if you want to go back and catch up on where we're at, we're uh, several months into this Thursday night class. So again, welcome everybody, whether you're brand new or you're coming back and some of you've been with us this whole time that we've been doing this uh, 5 p.m. Pacific uh, Refuge class uh, group. Um, this is not a refuge recovery meeting. Refuge recovery meetings are peer led. Um, this is a world services offering where I am doing some teaching and answering some questions um, as the founder of refuge recovery. Uh, and this is different than a normal refuge recovery meeting where there shouldn't be any sort of Q and A's or people giving advice the way that I do. <laughs> and it should really be peer led and people um, you know, just speaking from their own direct experience. So this is a bit different than normal refuge meetings. Again, welcome. And we'll begin with a guided meditation. We've completed the mindfulness instructions last week. And this week we move into um, the heart practices. Now in the book, in between the mindfulness uh, meditation instructions and the heart practices where we go into compassion and forgiveness and loving kindness and appreciation and equanimity. There's a short meditation on eating, on mindfulness of, of eating meditation. Um, and we're gonna skip it for now. As I said last week, I felt like it's very important. If you haven't looked at it, look at it, practice that, get something, get a snack, sit down, read those instructions and, and bring that kind of mindfulness to your relationship to the food, your experience of the food, uh, consuming, tasting, mindfulness of chewing, smelling, uh, swallowing. Uh, I deeply encourage you to do that. It's a core practice. It's an opportunity that we have every day to bring our present time investigative awareness to an ordinary activity like eating. And there are many people in our program whose primary addiction or secondary addiction is food. And this becomes, uh, it's important for all of us, but becomes perhaps even more um, necessary to really bring mindfulness to food if food has become a part of your process addiction or something that you uh, are addicted to or struggle with certain types of food. Um, that having been said, tonight we're going into the compassion practice. So I invite you to find a meditative posture. And um, I don't have a copy of the book with me tonight, so I'm going to read the instructions off of my phone. I'm not um, watching a video or texting somebody. I'm actually reading the instructions to you as they are written in the book. Compassion meditation. After establishing a comfortable sitting posture, allow your eyes to close and your attention to settle into the present time experience of the body. Relax any physical tension that is being held in the body by softening the belly. 
relax the eyes and jaw and allow your shoulders to naturally fall away from the head. After a short period of settling into present time awareness, begin to reflect on your deepest desire for happiness and freedom from suffering. Allow your heart's truest longing for truth and well-being to come into consciousness. With each breath, breathe into the heart center the acknowledgement of your wish to be free from harm, to be safe and protected, and to experience compassion for all beings. Slowly begin to silently offer yourself compassionate phrases with the intention to uncover the heart's sometimes hidden, caring, and friendly response. Your phrases can be as simple as the following. May I learn to care about suffering and confusion. May I respond with mercy and empathy to pain. May I be filled with compassion. If those phrases do not mean anything to you, create your own words to meditate on. Find a few simple phrases that have a compassionate and merciful intention and slowly begin to offer these well wishes to yourself. As you repeat these phrases in your mind, the, intent, the attention will be drawn back into thinking about other things or resisting and judging the practice or your capacity for compassion. It takes a gentle and persistent effort to return to the next phrase each time the attention wanders. May I learn to care about suffering and confusion. Feel the breath and the body's response to each phrase. May I respond with mercy and empathy to pain. Notice where the mind goes with each phrase. May I be filled with compassion. Allow the mind and body to relax into the reverberations of each phrase. Simply repeat these phrases over and over to yourself like a kind of mantra or statement of positive intention. But don't expect to instantly feel compassionate through this practice. Sometimes all we see is our lack of compassion and the judging mind's resistance. Simply acknowledge what is happening and continue to repeat the phrases, being as friendly and as merciful with yourself as possible in the process.
let go of sending compassion to yourself and bring attention back to your breath and body. Again, relaxing into the posture. Then bring someone to mind who has been beneficial for you to know or someone you know of, someone who has inspired you or shown you great compassion. Recognizing that just as you wish to be cared for and understood, that benefactor too shares the universal desire to be met with compassion. Begin offering him or her the caring phrases. Slowly repeat each phrase with that person in mind as the object of your well-wishing. Just as I wish to learn to care about suffering and confusion, to respond with mercy and empathy to pain, and to be filled with compassion, may you also learn to care about suffering and confusion. May you respond with mercy and empathy to pain. May you be filled with compassion. Continue offering these phrases from your heart to your benefactors, developing the feeling of compassion in relationship to the pain of others. When the mind gets lost in a story, memory, or fantasy, simply return to the practice. Begin again, offering mercy and care to the benefactor.
now expand the practice to include family and friends towards whom your feelings may be mixed, both loving and judgmental. May you all learn to care about suffering and confusion. May you all respond with mercy and empathy to pain. May you all be filled with compassion.
Now expand the practice to include the difficult people in your life and in the world. By difficult, we mean those whom you have put out of your heart, those towards whom you hold resentment. With even the most basic understanding of human nature, it'll become clear that all beings wish to be met with compassion. All beings, even the annoying, unskillful, violent, confused and unkind, wish to be free from suffering. With this in mind and with the intention to free yourself from hatred, fear and ill will, allow someone who is a source of difficulty in your mind or your heart to be the object of your compassion meditation. Meeting that person with the same phrases and paying close attention to your heart mind's response. May you learn to care about your suffering and confusion. May you respond with mercy and empathy to pain. May you be filled with compassion. Now begin to expand the field of compassion to all those who are in your immediate vicinity. Start by sending compassionate phrases to everyone in the meeting. Then gradually expand to those in your city or town allowing your positive intention for meeting everyone with compassion to spread out in all directions. Imagine covering the whole world with these positive thoughts. Send compassion to the north and south, east and west, 
radiate an open heart and fearless mind to all beings in existence. Those above and below, the seen and the unseen, those being born and those who are dying. With a boundless and friendly intention, begin to repeat the phrases. May all beings learn to care about suffering and confusion. May all beings respond with mercy and empathy to pain. May all beings be filled with compassion. After a few minutes of sending compassion to all beings everywhere, simply let go of the phrases and bring attention back to your breath and body, investigating the sensations and emotions that are present now. Whenever you are ready, allow your eyes to open and your attention to come back to your surroundings.
Compassion is um, a huge part of the equation of our recovery. Uh, it is such a massively important skill. Um, without compassion, I'm surprised that people can uh, maintain abstinence at all. And, um, and I think that uh, so much relapse, so many times when people find themselves returning to addictive substances or behaviors, processes, um, it's because they're trying to avoid some pain. Um, and compassion is the only solution, is the only wise relationship to pain. And if we've actually done this practice and developed this meditation skill and uncovered this compassionate heart that resides in all of us, then when life gets painful, difficult, uh, as it inevitably will and continue to, uh, then we have the ability to respond wisely to the pain rather than running from it back into the bottle and the needle, the pipe, the refrigerator, the, you know, sex, money, whatever the addictive process has become, the people, places, things, whatever. Um, and so compassion is not just a good idea. It's uh, a necessity for us. And, and it's, it's such a, for, and, and in refuge recovery in Buddhism, it is a core necessity. If, you know, if we wanna end suffering, if we wanna recover, if we wanna end the suffering that addiction creates, and even long after we have established abstinence, abstinence doesn't end our hatred of pain. <laughs> Obviously, uh, it becomes a necessity and compassion is not, it's a practice. It's, I mean, there's two ways to look at it. I want to share, share two perspectives here and it's in the refuge book and in different, I, I talk about it in different ways. Um, one is let's look, just look at like human beings as let's get scientific neurobiology and human evolution. Unfortunately, we human beings are not born with a neuropathway of self-compassion. You don't have it. You weren't born with it. <laughs> you don't naturally care about your own pain and meet pain with mercy and with empathy. And the natural human default is I fucking hate pain. And I want to get high. <laughs> I want to check out. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to be in pain. So then we come into, we see like, oh, well, running from my pain didn't work. It actually made everything worse in the long term. And we come to recovery and we have to learn to be with our pain. And then often we do still, even though we're abstinent, we still want to avoid our pain. And some of the stuff that we do uh, you know, and I, I certainly don't want to present Buddhism or refuge as any level of like uh, masochism of like, yeah, like let's turn, let's be in pain. <laughs> like not the, we're not trying to seek out pain. What we're acknowledging is it's unavoidable. Avoid the avoidable pain. Learn compassion for the unavoidable unpleasantness of this human experience, incarnation. Uh, so because our minds don't have natural neuropathways of self-compassion, the human mind does have some compassion for others. Uh, also, depending on our conditioning and, you know, family of origin and all that. But there is something natural in us to care about each other, but nothing very natural in us to care about ourselves. Whatever that is, that, that compassionate response, 
it's deeply buried. So from one perspective, um, we don't have to have it and we have to create a neuropathway. When we do this meditation and we say the phrases, even though we don't fucking mean them very much in the beginning, and we say, may I be filled with compassion or I have compassion for my enemy, all, not, you know, and, and your mind is going like, no, I hope they get hit by a bus. But you're saying it anyways, and you're creating this neurons that fire together, wire together. So we're, tra we're training our mind to create neuropathways of kindness and mercy and empathy and compassion, training the mind to be compassionate. You know, uh, earlier on in mindfulness, we talked about how the Buddha referred to the uh, the mind, the untrained mind as like a wild monkey, the monkey mind. So part of it in mindfulness, we, turn, we train the mind to stay. And then in compassionate, we try and train the mind to care. Because just staying present isn't enough. Present with care, with mercy, with friendliness, with compassion. Does that make sense to you? You can nod or flip me off or whatever you think. But um, so one, that's one perspective is we're training the mind. Other perspective, your heart, your true heart, your human part of this human experience incarnation, what we might call Buddha nature gets a little woo woo, but that there's part of us that is naturally loving and compassionate and appreciative. And it's part of who you, you know, when the greed, hatred and delusion, that habitual reactive survival instinct, when we go beneath it, when we, when we clear away some of the attachment and aversion and self-centeredness, what remains in us, what is uncovered is a compassionate heart, is part of you that naturally loves yourself, naturally cares about your own pain. It's part of your nature to be merciful. Beneath the critical, judging, fear-based, conditioned mind, there's a loving mind, a loving heart. So, in that way, from that perspective, every time we say the phrase, rather than neurons creating neuropathways, we're excavating, we are uncovering. And I like this perspective. We are recovering something that's always been here. But we didn't have access to it, it was lost. Like, what does it mean to recover? To get back something that you lost. I recovered, I, I lost my wallet, but I recovered it. <laughs> I lost my compassion, but I meditated my ass off for 20 years and I recovered it. <laughs> I re, and, and maybe I, I like even better to think of it as uncovery. We are uncovering. It's there, it's in us, it's in all of us. Everyone has a loving heart. How deeply buried is that loving heart? How did our wounds, our addictions, our traumas, our you know, religious conditioning, our societal, our, the oppression we experienced, the fear we experienced, how, how did our life put layers and layers and layers over our hearts? And even if you had a pretty good life, you probably wouldn't be here, but if you had a pretty good life, but you still have a human mind, the mind by itself, how many times did your mind judge you today? How many times did you have, uh, you know, aversion to something, some sound? How many times did your mind say like, it's not quite right? Did you watch the news today? The world's not quite right. This shit's wrong. And there's some discernment to some of those thoughts. I don't want to dismiss them. 
but also just the mind by itself constantly laying these cover meeting aversion meeting with craving rather than uncover it's like one of my teachers said imagine a thin layer of uh, rice paper um, being laid over your heart every time you have craving every time you have aversion every time you have self-centered something fear self-centeredness so how many times a day do you experience aversion self-centeredness uh clinging craving how many rice paper sheets an hour are being piled on blocking our heart blocking our compassion the meditation techniques in refuge recovery the meditation te techniques that the buddha teaches us are excavations every time you say the phrase and even though you don't mean it it's melting one of those layers that's blocking it's uncovering it's excavating uh down to eventually and this is what the buddha said he said i woke up he said i lived a life and i suffered and i met pain with aversion and i met pleasure with clinging and craving and i took it all real personal and then i meditated my ass off i woke up and what remained in me was compassion for all living beings loving kindness towards all living beings uh uh, appreciation, appreciative joy, empathetic happiness towards all living beings. When we are free from the self-centered, fear-based addiction to our own minds, there's goodness here that just cares and celebrates and loves. You may or may not believe that. Um, I'll tell you that, you know, my experience was that when I heard that, I was like, no fucking way. <laughs> There's no way. All I'm, I'm meditating and all I see is fear in my mind. I don't see love. I don't see compassion. But I kept going. And then after some months and years of meditating, I was like, oh, there is more friendliness is happening. Oh, I've been saying this compassion stuff and not meaning it. Now I'm starting to mean it. And somewhere in there, I hate to tell you, but for me, years into meditation, wow, I'm starting to feel it. Wow. And as I started to feel compassion for myself and others and even my enemies, it felt much more like a um, more familiar than I thought. It wasn't foreign. It wasn't like, it wasn't brand new. It felt like a deja vu of like, oh, this is what they're talking about. Kind of kind of know this feeling it's, you know it's familiar it's always here it's always been here maybe i used to only glimpse it on acid but now <laughs> you know now i'm actually feeling it in reality so i hope that these perspectives uh, make sense um so i see some questions i'm open to share you know anything you want to talk about uh, and i like this first question what about those of us who avoid pleasure, not pain? Does compassion help us learn to care about experiencing our happiness too? And if so, how? Um, and I, I love, thanks Rebecca for asking this question. Because compassion is very much, and I know I started talking about a kind of general, but compassion itself is very much only focused on one thing only pain only pain or something that we're suffering about which is also right if you're if you're suffering about it like so when we're attached to pleasure it doesn't seem like well it's not pain but the attachment the clinging the addiction is painful but really compassion only is appropriate is only only meets that which is pain and suffering so this question about if we avoid pleasure not pain um 
it might not be that compassion is the practice. Then it maybe it's more of a mindfulness of like second foundation of learning to tolerate pleasure. We have to learn to tolerate pain. And, you know, uh, I know where the question is coming from. People do get their wires crossed where rather than constantly avoiding pain, they're actually trying to avoid pleasure and seek pain, right? And there's this sort of like, drawn towards that same dysfunctional, painful relationship <laughs> over and over. Um, but it's not compassion for uh, when we're trying to avoid pleasure. That's more turning towards pleasure with learning to appreciate it, learning to tolerate it. And maybe, I don't know, I mean, Rebecca, you'd have to tell me, but my sense is that if we try to avoid pleasure because pleasure in our own perception, in our own, is actually unpleasant. Why do we, you know, why would anybody avoid pleasure or avoid success or avoid situations where you're being complimented or praised or, you know, what, um, because in your perception, that pleasant, what others would consider pleasant, you actually perceive it as painful. If that's what you're talking about, if your perception of what's supposed to be pleasant is actually painful to you, then yes, compassion. But if it is actually pleasant and you just, uh, it's more of a core issue around uh, un unworthiness or, you know, kind of self-sabotage, then it's not so much about compassion. It's just about building your tolerance and your uh, worthiness up to be like, yeah, pleasure's okay. <laughs> it's okay to be happy. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to enjoy appropriate sense pleasures that aren't causing harm to ourselves or others. It's, it's more than okay. It's actually important. We live in this human uh, body, mind, heart process and Pain is unavoidable, but also pleasure is unavoidable. So no matter how much renunciation you experience, I mean, this is like the Buddha when he was an ascetic and he was, you know, fasting and he's like, and it still feels good sometimes. <laughs> no matter how hardcore I practice renunciation, it's still like the sun hits my skin and I enjoy it and I feel like so indulgent. <laughs> Uh, it's okay. It's just like you have a nervous system with pleasure and pain. Our recovery, our Dharma practice is to have equanimity and acceptance and, and meet the pleasure with non-attached appreciation and meet the pain with compassion. Letting go and caring. All the skills we're building. Um, Richard says, I feel sad when I consider that humans don't have a natural tendency to care for ourselves, self-compassion. Are you sure about this? Isn't aversion to pain a form of self-cherishing? How is self-compassion different than self-cherishing? How is self-compassion? Isn't, um, I mean, I don't know, Richard, you, uh, you, you know this as well as I do. So a couple of things, this does make sense. This is the teaching of, of early Buddhism um, that we're not born with compassion, um, but that there's the potential for everyone to uh, become compassionate, to awaken compassion, but that it's not, um, it's not natural to us. It's, it's why the Buddha said, this path goes against the stream. He says, you know, compassion is so radical. Asking people to care about their own pain and the pain of others in this world of greed and hatred and delusion. He's like, I don't think, I mean, how many people are going to do this? He was finally convinced to teach because he saw like, oh, maybe, maybe there will be a handful of radical drug addicts in every generation who have uh, suffered enough to say, fuck it, I'll meditate and I'll... You know, I'll do it. But he was skeptical because he said, this is so counter. People are not naturally compassionate. They're naturally hateful, self-centered and attached. Uh, and this is what he said. He said, looking at his generation, 
<laughs> and then we look at our generation and be like, fuck, yeah, he was right. People are still hateful and self-centered and attached and crazy human beings, animals. We are animals, <laughs> all of us. And um, so the, we don't make a, a distinction between um, self-compassion and self-cherishing. I feel like I know in the Tibetan tradition, they have some distinctions between, between the two. Uh, my father, one of my teachers, uh, used to love to say, cherish yourself. And I know in Tibetan Buddhism, like self-cherishing is a bad thing, but he was coming from this place of like, love yourself. It's okay to cherish yourself. You're worthy of your own love. You're worthy of your own compassion. You're worthy of treasuring yourself, cherishing. You know, there's that place in the Metta Sutta where the Buddha says, um, uh, this is not the word cherish. What word, word does he use? I want to say he says, cherish all living beings the way that a mother would cherish her child, her only child. A good mother. <laughs> not your mom, but a good mom. <laughs> would cherish a, a child with that sort of... So in the, you know, in the early Buddhist teachings, um, cherishing yourself and cherishing others and cherishing all living beings is a positive thing. And it's a radical thing. Um, okay, let's, uh, Jason, question, go for it. Yeah, hey, Noah, thanks, man. So this is funny that this, like, that this was our meditation. I have the book here in front of me. I've never, like, um, read through the back of all the meditations. I've been to only a couple uh, meetings in person so far, and we haven't done the compassion meditation. But um, I, might, I had a therapy session today, and my therapist said to me something like, compassion is the antidote uh, of, of to shame, because my, uh, my shame, I think, was a lot of uh, you know, source of my suffering and through my addiction. And, uh, it was the, it was the key, you know, driver of the whole thing. Um, you know, it was the fuel to the fire per se, but now I'm wondering like through this meditation, like, is it, is it compassion? That's the antidote to shame, or is it more or less like being compassionate to the shame is the antidote to the, you know, like, cause when I read that and it says, you know, may I, uh, may I learn to, um, you know, meet my, I forget where it was, but uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, is it being compassionate? Is compassion just in a general sense an antidote to shame or is, is it more or less wanting to be compassionate to the shame? Because shame, I guess, has a role, doesn't it? Um, shame is painful. So in that way, when shame has arisen in our mind, absolutely compassion for how painful it is to feel that shame is appropriate. So in that way, um, I would say that your, as your therapist was saying, um, meeting the pain that shame that we experience when we're, when we're stuck in shame um, will help as an antidote to some of the suffering that that shame is creating. Now, I want to go to a whole nother level, which is that um, compassion isn't the full solution or antidote to shame because shame is delusion, is confusion. Now, if you're meaning shame the way I mean shame, now we have to separate guilt and shame. Now, guilt Correct. is... Yeah. So if it's really that shame, shame, which is the lie that our mind tells us that we are bad that we are unworthy, that we are, uh, you know, whatever. That kind of shame is delusion, right? That is um, your mind lying to you. There's no truth to that shame. It is ignorance. Now, I'm not saying this in a judgmental way at all, just to point out that we don't want to say, like, I'm going to just kind of live with this, but we're going to train our minds so thoroughly that... Um, we see through that delusion of I'm bad or unworthy or, uh, you know, sh that I have shame about myself. Now, that's very different than guilt 
or regrets or, you know, uh, stuff where we feel bad about stuff that we've actually done that we're actually guilty of. <laughs> That's how right. <laughs> to feel, uh, you know, some remorse for the ways that we've been unskillful, healthy. Shame about who we are, the mind lying to us again. So the more we train the mind, have compassion for how confused the mind is, and the more we heal, the less we'll experience shame. And when shame does arise, we'll just be able to see it of like, oh, I see you. What we call Mara in Buddhism. I don't know if you're familiar, but I see you Mara. Mara is that shame, that self-doubt, that unworthiness. And we'll, we'll just, you know, you'll get to the place where it will arise and pass and it won't cause you any suffering because you'll know it's a lie. In the meantime, it's so fucking painful. Meet it with compassion. <laughs> you know what I mean? I do. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for answering that that way. I needed to be reminded about that. The, the delusion that shame really is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's not, you know, any. It's some, somebody said that um, on uh, the Dalai Lama, the, the Tibetan teacher, uh, said that he, he doesn't feel like people have a lot of self-hatred or shame in, in Tibet. Um, and that, that a lot of the shame, that, that uh, self-hatred and shame that we experience in the West is because of our Judeo-Christian uh, religious you know, conditioning. Even if you weren't raised with heavy religion, um, there's something about being raised in a culture that thinks that human beings are born into sin and are you know, intrinsically sort of bad, cast out of heaven and all that bullshit. What a difference from that than being raised in a culture that says you have Buddha nature and you can become enlightened in this lifetime and compassion is something that you can uncover. And like, yeah, you have karma and you're responsible for your actions, but you're a powerful human being that, you know, is like has the ability to wake up so different to have that as our core belief system than, you know, the, the Western religious delusions that we've all had to navigate on one level or another. So maybe that's, a, <laughs> sorry for going on such a tangent there, uh, but maybe that's enough for tonight. It is six o'clock. Thinking of Tibetan stuff next week, we will do the um, Tonglin meditation where we Breathe in the suffering, breathe out compassion, breathe in another way, another great way to uncover and to create neuropathways and to develop the skill of compassion that we're all trying to develop. Um, this evening is done by donation. If you can donate, please give some um, donations to Refuge Recovery World Services. That is um, money that I don't partake in but that goes to support the organization and your meetings. And I do this Thursday night group as my own service and practice to, to share with you some of my time and energy and views and opinions and experience with recovery and dark and Buddhism. So um, thank you for being here. I think there's a link um, being posted in the, yep, there is a, a link uh, posted at 557 where you can um, click on if you'd like to make some donations to Refuge Recovery. And I will see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Refuge Recovery Podcast. To learn more about our program of recovery and to connect with others on the Refuge Recovery path, visit our website, refugerecovery.org, where you will find information, meditations, and links to both in-person and online Refuge Recovery meetings. This podcast is brought to you by Refuge Recovery World Services, a nonprofit created to support our network of refuge recovery groups around the world. Thank you for listening.